All right. Well, good morning. It is good to be with you here this fine day. We were reminiscing about uh, the youth room and um, its its creation, its construction, my fall from grace. Uh, I was on a ladder. I, I don't remember this. I, I, I was told secondhand because I don't remember, but apparently I was on a ladder right over here. I do remember that there was an altar right here, and um, I was doing something with this light or this panel or something, and then um, from what I heard, someone came into the room, and I turned and looked, and, and I fell off the ladder. In fact, I fell this way because I hit my head on this side. I remember that. Um, and I'm sure I got a concussion or something, and they rushed me to the hospital. and. Um, I, I don't remember this either, but uh, the youth pastor at the time, Pastor Dan, told me that I kept asking, do I need to put on my seatbelt while I'm in the car? He said, I, I would just constantly ask, do I need to put on my seatbelt? And I had the seatbelt on, apparently. So, um, again, I, I don't remember, and obviously I'm fine, some would argue. Um, but, but, you know, it's, I, I remember this room when it was being built. And there's a reason I'm saying all this. But I remember this room being built and, and how it was a collection of, of Sunday school, um, almost offices, if you will, and how when I first arrived, we were in the midst of, of really revamping the, the youth ministry and um, taking this building and, and restructuring it. Um, I was a part of that construction. This, the, that uh, truly gave me purpose because I, I was part of the, the building, which I was, I've always been uh, in love with, you know, Legos and construction and, and architecture and all that. So I, I was part of the, the building, the construction here. Um, I started to do sound in the back over there. This, this was, um, this used to be a playroom. So we had a bunch of games and stuff on this side. And then we had service over here. And then it just morphed into this room here. And we had all sorts of crazy colors for a very long time. And it, it's just been a journey, an amazing journey. Um, and, and that's really what, what fostered me into this church, into uh, the people that I love here this morning, um, into ministry, really. It, it led me into loving it here so much that I thought I want to do this for the rest of my life. And, and so, um, you know, went to Bible college and studied and prayed and all that good stuff. And, and so here we are on this uh, fine Sunday morning um, talking about what the Lord I feel laid on my heart uh, to speak on, which is, um, it's interesting because we, we have been, I want to say as a church, but, but many in the church have, have felt this, it's, is this battle of um, purpose, really, of, of what the church is, who we are, what our relationship should be with each other and with the Lord. Um, this, this just attack of the enemy on the fundamentals of who God is and, and what he means to us and, and where we need to go. I was scrolling through social media a few days ago, and um, I, I, I was following um, a, a breadcrumb trail of, um, of people that other people are following. And 
it, it wasn't like I was spying or, or, or being sneaky or anything like that. I mean, obviously it's out there. You can, you can follow along. Um, but I wanted to see what these people believe, right? So I, I click on a link and I read about this one individual and, and his ministry and what he's trying to accomplish and, and social injustice and this, this and that. And he, he goes on and, and links me to another person. So I'm looking at what this other person believes. And, and at one point in time, and, and I'm going to read parts of it to you. I don't want to read the whole thing because it's, it's fairly long. But it, at one point in time, this individual says, um, God's life doesn't have a purpose. Like God doesn't exist for a reason. Love doesn't have a purpose. We don't love people because of things. If I started telling my kids, you know, I love you because you perform well in school or because you're athletic, I mean, that's obviously perverse. I love my kids because they're my kids. God is God because God is God. There's no purpose for that. So this world doesn't exist for a purpose. God didn't create for a reason. God created because he's love and he loves us, period. And it just rubbed me the wrong way. It really did. And, and so this, this sermon is not to, um, I mean, it is to counteract that, but this, this teaching is not about that individual or, or the ministries or anything like that. But, but it, 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 it hit me where it hurts, that, that statement, because, I mean, obviously we look at Jeremiah 29, 11, which, which we're going to read here in a minute. Um, but, but you look at scriptures like that, and, and you think, well, automatically, well, yeah, there's a purpose. You have a purpose in your life, and, and God created you for a reason. The, the interesting thing about that, which I'm surprised by, because uh, it's an interesting tactic of the enemy, but the interesting thing about that one in particular is that, that we as humans, we thrive on purpose, on reason. We, we want an answer for everything. If you look at just the secular, um, the, the secular thought of why we are here, you, you'll, you'll come to understand that, that um, through evolution, through natural selection, we came, this again, secular thought, this is not my thoughts, through, through natural selection and evolution, we came out of this, this goop of amino acids and, and turned into um, fish and then lizards and then monkeys and then, you know, those monkeys stood up and they decided to use tools and then those, those tools became something that, that sparked community and through community we're then now pre-wired for um, relationship and, and that's really what, what evolution was about creating these relationships with each other and that's why humans exist right from a purely secular evolutionary standpoint that is what this world uh, means so this tactic is interesting because it goes against everything that, that even the, the secular world wants to believe in this the fact that we have connection one with the other and and so when you read about certain things it it talks through this concept of we need each other right we we cannot survive without each other and they'll say evolution has blah 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 because because even scientists understand the concept of you need me and i need you they they have done studies on um on babies where um, they, 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 they quantify children who uh, don't get held and, and how they react um, in the hospital. They, they look at what has happened to the child as it's grown up when, when it isn't being quote-unquote loved, and, and they see a marked difference in those children, that, that children who are not held um, are, 
are damaged because of that. I remember when, when Kelly um, and I had our children, we were in the hospital, and, and they were struggling. They, they, were, um, they were sick. Uh, Megan had to go under the Billy Rubin lights. There was all these things going on, and, and one of the things that the doctors and the nurses kept telling us is, we, we're going to try to have you touch them as much as possible. And, and a big part is we could not because of their, their illnesses. They, they had to be under these lights. They had to have all of these wires and things like that. And so the doctors were working hard to get them in a stable enough position where they could remove those things and have us hold them. And it was very difficult. Um, but, they, but again, they kept stressing, we're going to try to get this. They called it kangaroo time. They're, they're going to try to do this as quickly as possible, as quickly as possible. Um, it, 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 it is a intimate and, and loving experience that you have with your child um, when, when you're, you're holding it. And, and they, they do it nowadays. I don't know how it worked in the past, obviously. Um, but nowadays they do it so that it's skin to skin. So, so the mother is shirtless, the father is shirtless, the, the baby obviously not wearing any clothes. Um, but they, they try to get you as close as possible to that child because they know that it engenders um, this, this bond relationship and it heals the child. And so, um, again, as a doctor, they might say evolutionarily it's because of blah, blah, blah. We know that, that the, the relationships that God has created within us um, form these bonds inside of our spirits, inside of our minds, and help us to grow um, into healthy adults because of it. But so, so as I'm reading this, I'm, I'm struck that, that someone would say that that there is no purpose, that God doesn't exist for any reason at all except for to exist. And, and so today I wanted to, again, it's not that I want to address that, but I wanted to kind of look through Scripture and, and see what is purpose. Why did God create humanity? Why did he create you as an individual? Um, and, and obviously, in order to understand that, we have to start in, in Genesis. But before we can start in Genesis, I, I want to point out that um, the Bible starts with our creation, the creation of humanity. So we're going to look, obviously, very deeply into that, uh, well, as deeply as we can. But we're going to look into that, um, and, and before we get into it, we need to talk about the angels and, and their creation and, and why they exist. When, when God created this, this race of being called, beings called the angels— one of the primary functions that they had was to serve. Um, so, so when we look at them and their structure, we, we come to understand that they have power, right? They were given a lot of supernatural, in our eyes, power. Power to do things that humans cannot do. Um, they were given position. You, you are assigned to this particular position. You're going to do this particular thing. Um, and that, that is your only job, right? They were assigned to that position, and, and that, is, that is the only thing that they are, I don't want to say allowed to do, but that was their assignment. And, and we see that in Scripture um, with this concept of um, angels doing specific things, right? So we see angels that are assigned to sing holy, holy, holy all day long. Can you imagine that? Your one job is to sing holy, holy, holy all day long. Long, and that is all you can do 
forever. Um, I mean, that's great, right? This this being is is assigned to love the Lord. That's that that's a very high and lofty place to be. But that's all they can do. And and there are other angels that have similar functions, right? So we read about them in Scripture um, on on what they are supposed to do. So this angel does this, and he, this angel does that. The other concept that we see, so power position, is hierarchy. Angels are given a specific hierarchy um, in the realm of God in order to accomplish specific goals. So you've got, I don't want to call it the low tier, so bear with me, but we've got this, this lower tier of angels that, that have a, a specific job. That's all you're going to do. That's it. And then you've got a tier above that, and, and it's those that, um, and, and there's probably various levels, right? This is not about uh, angelology, if you will. But, but I want you to understand, right, when, when God created the angels, he, he gave them a very specific job, a reason, a purpose, if you will. Um, and, and one of those things was hierarchy. So we see angels like Michael and Gabriel who are, are accomplishing very specific tasks when we read about them in Scripture. But at the same time, they're also doing other things, right? So there's a, there's a, a roundness to their function. And then you get to someone like Lucifer. Lucifer was in that top echelon of angels. And we read uh, in Ezekiel 28, verse 12. In fact, I want to read it, if this will do what it's supposed to do. Okay, we'll go this way then. Uh, Ezekiel 28, 12. I'll read 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus says the Lord God, You seal up the sum, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardis, topaz, and the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, and jasper, sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee, in the day that thou was created. And it goes on to talk about uh, the anointed cherub. Um, as we read scripture, we, we come to understand that, that this is an analogy, uh, um, a, a comparison, really, of, of the king of, of Tyre, um, of king of Tyrus, and Lucifer, right? So, so Tyrus here is being compared to Lucifer in the ways that he was was created brought up what what his purpose was what his hierarchy was and one of those things that that the bible says that was part of his um his job if you will was to seal up the sum and and as i, I in pastor's book uh, i believe it was hierarchy um or even princess but but in his book he talks about how this this idea of seal up the sum is is really at that top echelon of i i come here and I take these, um, these elements of angels and I, I gather them and I work through what the best way is for them to be utilized at the time. So we, we read throughout scripture. And, and again, we're not going to get into all of them. But we, we read throughout scripture um, how these things work together. How certain angels, because they did this function, how they brought up another function and worked together to create, to manifest the glory of God. And, and Lucifer um, was designed to fill that role. He was designed to say, I'm going to take this. It was a, a, 
a, a second in command, if you will. I'm going to take this over here, put that together with this over here to accomplish this thing here in the middle. Um, we read about the Council of Seven and all these other things that, that Lucifer was designed to, to kind of function in, to fix, to, um, to put together, all that, right? So we see this echelon of Lucifer, and then at some point in time, Lucifer decides, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't like this. And, and part of the reason was, we read this in John chapter 8, where I'm not going to read John chapter 8, but write it down if you want. John chapter 8, in verse 44, it talks about how um, Lucifer is the father of lies, and he was a murderer from the beginning. And, and it's, it's really Jesus talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and how they, they don't understand what Jesus is trying to accomplish here because all they think about is um, themselves. And he, and he says, you're like your father, the devil, who did not abide in the truth but decided to go off in his own, on his own realm. So what we read from that is this concept of um, he was a murderer, a man-killer from the beginning. At, at the beginning of man's creation, thought process, when God said, I'm going to create this thing called man, Lucifer rebelled and said, no, I don't think so. Because man was different than the angel, completely different. We, we are not assigned a specific role. We are assigned roles. We're given responsibilities. We are given special talents and gifts. But, but we are not assigned to sing holy, holy, holy all day long for the rest of our lives, and that's all you can do. We're different that way. God created us. We'll look more into this, but God created us to have function beyond our being. He, he created us to look inside of ourselves and say, I can do that, and then to go and do it. And, and he gave us the, the wherewithal, the capacity to grow outside of ourselves. Whether we choose to do that or not is, is what is up for debate, right? There are many out there with, with great jobs, I'm sorry, with great talents and skills that, that don't utilize them to their fullest extent. And it's, and it's maybe because of circumstance. It's maybe because of, of lifestyle. might be because of, of just choice, right? Maybe it's just pure laziness. Uh, last night we were watching a, just a beautiful movie called McFarland USA. It's, it's about a group of runners, uh, cross-country runners, um, uh, that are Hispanic, Mexican. They're, they're here in the United States in McFarland. They are Mexican runners, and, and it's this coach that comes to McFarland, um, and, and he tries to build this team of cross-country runners. And, and it's a beautiful story of, of him working with these, with these young men, and, and trying to build them up. And, and one of the themes in here is that um, it, it, it was, it's based in 1987, but, but it, one of the themes was that these Mexicans were uh, working out in the fields, right? They were, they were cutting lettuce and picking strawberries and doing all these things, and they had to work day in and day out for hours and hours and hours in order to get these fields prepared for the harvest. Um, and, and these children were having to do that as well. And so at the age of 10 or 12, they were going out into the fields with their parents, with their fathers mostly. Uh, they were going out to the field, fields with their fathers, doing the harvest, going to school, then coming back to the field to finish the work. And that's all they basically did. 
And, and so one of the themes that this coach has to fight with is this concept of um, you're, you're not going to be better than you are right now because you have to do this job over here. And you have to do this job over here because if you don't, you don't have any money. You have no wherewithal to survive. You have to go out into the field. And, and at one point, the father um, of, of, of one of the runners tells his son, get your head out of those books. College. What are you talking about college? Your, your life is here in the fields, and reading books is never going to help you with these fields, so reading books is pointless. And, and it's, it's sad to see that, that this happened, obviously. Uh, it's a true story, um, but it, it's sad to see that this happens everywhere. We have the capacity to be better. The, the beauty of this story is, right, they, they overcame that. They were able to win state and, and, and start winning all these races and, and go to college um, because we have the capacity to grow outside of ourselves. And, and so, again, that's why this rubbed me the wrong way, this, this, this thought that there is no purpose or reason for you to be here is just ludicrous. Regardless, um, Lucifer looked at that and he said, I don't like it. I, I don't like that you're giving all this power to, to mankind. I, I want to squash that. I want to get rid of it. I don't think that, I don't think that applies here. And, and it supersedes me, Lucifer. Um, and he, he stepped out of the truth. And that's where we see uh, the fall of, of these angelic beings, which leads us into Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And we hear that, we see then between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2, this this concept of of God creating and forming, and then this concept of God recreating and reforming. We we see um, in between the lines, if you will, the fall from grace, and then God building up humanity, building up his creation. And, and in Genesis 1, we're going to read this one. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Chapter 1, verse 26. We see God uh, creating light, the, the sun, the moon, the stars, the plants. Um, he then gets to day 6, and he says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over all of the cattle, and over all of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moves upon the earth. So at the beginning of creation, God gives mankind purpose. From the very beginning, he says, here is why I created you. I created you to have uh, dominion. I, I created you to be fruitful, to multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. Now we could go into the Hebrew for all these words. Maybe that'll be my uh, my part two to this on Wednesday. Um, but, but we could look into the, the, the Hebrew, but let's look at it just in the English real quick. Be fruitful. What, is, what does be fruitful mean? It, it talks about bearing fruit. 
when when you think of this concept of of trees and there's there's a there's a whole lot of stuff about trees in the bible we'll get to that another day um but when you get to this concept of trees and growth and and the roots that we have be fruitful in, in a nutshell means you you are given the capacity to um, give something of yourself to other people and for it to feed them, for them to grow out of this. When you look at, when you think about the fruit of the Spirit, I've always contended that the fruit of the Spirit was not meant for us. It was meant for us to give to others, right? Love, you give love. You, you provide joy to others. You, you bring peace to other people, right? If there's a conflict, you're the one that has to go in there and bring the peace. The, the patience that you have, you're not patient with yourself. You're patient with others, right? So the fruit of the Spirit is about you bearing fruit um, so that others can enjoy, and that's what this is talking about. Be fruitful. The things that come out from you, provide them as sustenance and provision for others. Be fruitful. Multiply. Take this, this concept of who you are and who I created you to be and spread it out. It, it was not about just uh, go have babies. That was not what he's talking about here. He was saying take, take what I have created in you and expand it. Go out into this world and make it your own. Replenish the earth, right? He brings that in. He says, look, there was something that was supposed to be created in this earth that I want you to restore. I want you to bring it back. God, from the very beginning, saw this relationship that, that he had with, with Lucifer, saw the things that he wanted to do and how they were torn down, and, and God told humanity to Adam and Eve, he said, I want you to fix it. I want you to bring it back. Uh, subdue it. The, the, the concept of bring it unto subjugation, to rule over it. That's, that's where the dominion comes in as well. We'll talk about that. But, but he said, I want you to... Um, bring it into right alignment and, and make it your own. And then when you, when you rule, when you have dominion, um, it, was, it was not about having lordship over something as, as a master and a slave in that type of relationship. To have dominion meant to, to have ownership of and, and to make sure that, that what you were doing for that thing was the right thing to do. So you could call it a benevolent dictatorship, but, but really when God was looking at us having dominion over the planet, um, fish of the sea, fowl of the air, every living thing that moves, what he was saying is, I want you to rule. I want you to be in this high place. In order for you to do that, you have to get to know your people. You know, it's, it's interesting as a, as a people manager um, at my work, the, there's, there's this concept of... Um, how you get things done, right? And there are leaders out there who who yell at their people. I was watching the uh, the the Jason Bourne series again. They're just cool movies. But I was watching the Jason Bourne movies again, and and there's the the one guy Edward Norton. He plays a character who just yells all the time at his people, and and I think at that level maybe you kind of have to. You know, you're in the CIA or the FBI or NSA or whatever he is. Um, and, and he says to his people, I need you all to switch to a different gear and get out of here and get things done. And he's yelling at them, and you see them all scrambling. Um, at one point, you know, he's given bad news or whatever, so he walks into the room, and he says, everybody get out. Everybody just get out. And, and nobody's moving. 
And so he starts yelling again, and then everybody starts to move and leave. And, and I think, man, that's just, that's just mean. <laughs> I wonder how I would react to a boss that was like, that was just yelling all the time. Again, at, at that level, maybe you have to. You know, there's, a, there's a, maybe a different speed that you have to be in. Um, at my level, uh, here at, at Omnitrax or wherever, um, it's different. I, I treat my people with respect. I talk to them in a calm and collected manner. When I'm very upset at something that someone has done, I take a step back and say, okay, take a deep breath. Let's work through this. Now, why did you feel that it was appropriate for you to countermand on the phone with other people my directives? What did you hope to get out of that? What, were, what was your thought process? And we talked through what they were thinking and why they were thinking it. And, okay, I, I understand your perspective now. In the future, I would prefer and hope that we could blah, 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 right? Very different conversation. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Then you get loud. Um, different level, right? This, this concept of, of leadership and rule has, has a place. And, and the way that you do it has to be done strategically. That, that's why not everybody is a leader. You've got a lot of followers out there. That's, that's appropriate. You can't have too many cooks in the kitchen, right? Uh, not enough uh, Indians, too many chiefs. So leadership. When God said, I want you to have dominion, he said, I want you to rule. And there's, there's, a, there's some homework that we have to do in there. We, we, we take a survey now in, in companies where they say, let's see what the people think about you and your leadership style. And you get, you get measured on that leadership style because they've come to understand that, look, if you've got, you've got sour people, those sour people are going to leave and they're going to infect the rest of the company and, and sour people, infected sour people, uh, don't do productive work. And if they're not doing productive work, then this company isn't making money. If the company's not making money, then why are we here? And so they, they've started to look at, at the people and saying, okay, what do you think? What are, what are your issues and how can we solve them? And it all comes back to leadership. God wanted us to be leaders. Now, I'm, I'm getting into leadership now, but, but recognize the five things that God wanted us to do humanity to do be fruitful multiply replenish subdue and have dominion um, then it's interesting <clears throat> in genesis chapter 2 verse 18 i, I want to read this one like, i wrote a note on it a long time ago i don't remember when i wrote it but i wrote it verse 18 the lord god said it is not good that man should be alone i will make him a help meet for him and out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And then it goes on to say that he gave names to the cattle and to the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea. But no suitable mate was found for Adam. And at some point in, in my years, I wrote this, this note. Why? Why did God think that we were going to be alone? He was going to be with us. I mean, wasn't that his purpose anyway? I'm going to create this being called Adam, man, and I'm going to be with him. And I want him to do things with me. We're going to be companions. We're going to walk side by side into this brave new world and, and do stuff. So why did God think that Adam was going to be alone? 
what was he really talking about here? I mean, we see this concept of God, quote unquote, leaving, right? He, he goes away and comes back, even though he's omnipresent. Um, we see this concept when, when the Bible says that God is walking in the cool of the day saying, Adam, Adam, where are you? Why are you hiding from me? Right? We, we see that. And so we know that, that God went and visited with Adam, and we know that God went off back to his place. So why did God think that he was going to be alone? It's this separation of, obviously, the, the earthly and the spiritual, the heavenly and the, and the earthly, that, that God said, I want to build more than just one. I want this to be uh, expansive, which is why we see the subdue and replenish and multiply and all that. But he said, I, I want them to, um, to be a part of something that is bigger than themselves, and that's where you really get into legacy and progeny uh, and this concept of children. God wanted to be with us, but to let us grow outside of him as well. That, that was a big thing for him, to say, look, I'm going to give you a path, but I want you to follow it. That, that makes us vastly different than the angels. We talked about this a second ago. The angels are told, you're going to sing holy, holy, holy. It's all you're going to do for the rest of your life. For the rest of existence, that's what you're going to do, and they're happy to do it. For humans, it was, no, no, I'm going to tell you the end, and I want you to fill in the gaps. I want you to figure out how to get from here to there. We, we have these, these existential crises at times, thinking, well, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how I'm going to get there. And, and God wants to help us along the path, but he wants us to be creative. He wants us to take those things that he's built inside of us to the next level and to grow and to expand. And when we don't, call it complacency or laziness or whatever, we fail in what God has created us to do, which is to expand, to be creative. That's something that he didn't give to the angels, creativity. He didn't give them innovation. Look where we have come as a, as a society, as a nation, as a race, human, the, the human race. We've gone to the moon. We're, we're got, we've gone to Mars, even though we haven't landed a person. We, we've got out into the stars. We're, we're, uh, we've got these, these computers that fit on our, in our pockets. We have these computers that fit on our wrists. Pretty soon they're going to come out with the eye band or something like that. And it's going to be a ring that you wear. And it's, you can have a holographic image of your screen. It's, it's, that's where we're going because we're innovative. We're, we're excited about the new possibilities. We want to we stretch uh, the imagination. God created us like that. Why? If there is no purpose... If, if all there is is love, if God did not have a reason for us to do all these things, then why build us with these capacities? Why? But he did build us with these capacities. We have a purpose. There is a reason to these things. So God creates Adam, and he says, look, it's not good that he's alone. Maybe he meant alone here on the world. Maybe, maybe he meant alone like you can't do this by yourself i want you to have a partner i think there's all sorts of implications here we're not which we're not going to get into but i want you to see that god said i want this to be a partnership 
I want this to be a community. I want there to be companionship when you go through this because I, there's not an individual that's going to do this. It's going to be a race of people that have this capacity that move my agenda forward. So then we go into the rest of the Bible, all of it. And, and we look at what happened from that beginning point all the way into Revelation. So we start here in Genesis when God said, I'm going to create mankind. They're going to do these things, dominion, subdue, uh, fruitful, replenish, blah, blah, blah. He gets them there. They fall. And then we see him trying to get us back into a right relationship with him. So you've got the, the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You've got the law right there. And, and that is him trying to bring them back into that right relationship. Well, the rest of the Bible is too. But you see the law and what he accomplishes there. And what is it that he accomplishes? He says, these are the rules in my court. This is how this is going to work. And this is why it's going to work this way. Because they don't have the capacity to, um, to recognize this outside of a structure. What God wanted to do, what God wanted to do, goes back to trees, is he wanted to feed them himself. He had two trees in the garden that they were, that, that they were, um, that were central to his plan. You remember them? Knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And he said, of every tree in the garden you can eat, every single tree, the kiwi tree, the apple tree, the pineapple tree, the banana tree, the pecan tree, all those trees, you can eat from those trees. But the one you cannot eat from is the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that one. Leave that one alone. Why put it in there if he doesn't want us? My dad always asked me that. Why did God put that tree there if he didn't want them to eat it? It's a question for another day, but I do have an answer. Um, but he puts it in there, in the, right in the middle. They start eating of the tree of life. They start um, dabbling in, in the pecan and, and the pineapple and all that stuff. And then one day the woman says, um, I'm going to go for a walk. She goes for her walk, and there's a snake, and the snake says, hey, what's up with this tree? Why aren't you allowed to eat from this tree? Did God truly say that you can't eat from this tree? Well, that's awful. Why would he do that? Why would he put it here for you if you're not supposed to eat it? And he says, man, those are great points. Let me, let me try this thing. So she eats, and, and their eyes are open, right? And she gives some to Adam, and their eyes are opened, and, and they recognize that they are naked. And God says, who told you that you were naked? What does naked even mean? You've been walking around like this your whole life. What do you think naked means? And it was that they had lost their innocence. They had lost their covering. They, they recognize now lust and sin. Their eyes were opened to all these possibilities, all these possibilities that they were not exposed to before. Why? Because God wanted to feed them this fruit. He wanted to go down, be with Adam, pluck from the tree a specific fruit from that tree, slice it, dice it, mince it, cook it in a frying pan. He wanted to take sections of this tree and incrementally feed it to Adam and Eve. That's why it was there. He wanted it to be a partnership for them to know and to grow with him. Guidance. It's what he wanted. That's what the companionship was all about. Hey, Adam, as you do this thing, hey, 
recognize this, boom. And then there was a, there's inspiration and innovation and things coming into him from this fruit. That's what God wanted. He wanted it to be there because he wanted to partner with man in, in, the, in the, the exposition of this stuff. And, and obviously the snake ruined all that. The idea that I want it now ruined all that. And that's where we got to the law. Okay, fine. If, if you can't handle that, then here's how things are going to have to be done. Okay, here's, here's the rules and regulations. Here are the commandments that you have to follow. Then you get into, in Scripture, the priests. Okay, well, because of this, I'm, I'm going to set up a, a specific individual or set of individuals that are going to partner with you, and, and they're going to relate with me, and I'm gonna re- they're going to relate with you, right? So you've got this priesthood that comes along. Then they're like, hey, this is not enough. The people said, this is not enough. We need someone to rule over us. Not, yes, God, you're the ruler, but you're not here long enough, so we want a person to rule over us. And he says, like, are you sure you want someone to rule over you? Yes, yes, give us a ruler. So he assigns a king. Then you've got this whole litany of kings. In, in between there, you've got these people called the prophets. They hear the voice of God, and they tell you what God is saying, right? They, they didn't want any of that. And God said, look, I'm going to fix this once and for all, and he provided us with Jesus. And Jesus became the mediator between God and man. And, and Jesus, what Jesus truly brought to us is this, um, this fix, right? The, 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 I'm going to call it a Band-Aid. The, the healing of a relationship between us and God because Jesus was the prophet, the priest, and the king that humans needed. He became the one source for all those things. And so with Jesus, we get now this relationship with God where where we bypass all those things, and we have a direct relationship with God through his son, Jesus. When we have that relationship, we see in, in um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the, his journey. We see in the book of Acts, the, the church's journey. And then we finally get to, this is my last scripture, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And I do want to read it, even though we all know it and love it. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. He gave us these specific offices for the perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body of Christ. When we talk about purpose, and, and there's many books have been written about this uh, in this church and I'm sure other areas as well, but when we look at purpose, um, we, we look at the, this number five and how it's littered throughout Scripture, right? How, how in the beginning, in Genesis, God said, hey, there's five things I want you to do. Fruitful, multiply, subdue, dominion. Um, there's another one. Then, here in, in, the, in Ephesians, he says, hey, there's, there's five offices that I really need you to think through. Those, those things correlate. They, they work together. At the beginning, he said five. In the middle, he's saying five. I'm sure in the end, there's five. The, the point is, God said, forget about the number. 
that at some point God said, here are things that I need you to be a part of. I want you to be fruitful. I want you to subdue. I want you to have dominion. I need you to be an apostle. I need you to be a prophet, a pastor, a teacher, an evangelist. Those words have implications. Those offices have function. Those things that he has called us to do are for a reason. And the way that we accomplish our work fits into these five things somehow. I have seen this. This, this is the magical thing for me. I have seen this in the world, how this, the, the function of the five, works in the world. I, I think I've said this before um, at this stage, that, that in my specific profession, we have this concept of the ADDI model, analysis, design, development, implementation, evaluation. That's, that's what trainers are taught to go through in order to train something, to build curriculum. You analyze what's going on, you design, you plan, you design the thing that needs to be created, then you develop it, right? You develop all this stuff, then you implement it. You put it out there and you say, okay, let's see how it's going to work, then you evaluate it. Did it work? Did what I want to accomplish get accomplished? And then you start back over. Then you analyze your evaluation, you design, you develop, you implement, over and over again, this concept of the five lives in my function on this secular world. I, I guarantee you it's not the only place that it exists. The, the function of the five exists elsewhere in other jobs, in other functions, other capacities. God created this because he had purpose for us. He had a reason and he had a way of doing things. He wanted us to be creative. I stand by that. He wanted us to be innovative and imaginative and creative and, and to step out and say, you know what, I'm going to try something, and if it doesn't work, okay, I'll step back and maybe I'll try something else. He wanted that for us. He wanted there to be structure. He wanted us to go with him as we did these things. But at no point in time did God ever want to stifle us. How do we know that? Because of free will. At no point in time... Has God ever stopped humanity from doing something stupid? Do we recognize that? At no point in time has God stopped humanity from doing something stupid. History shows how stupid we can be. The, the Holocaust. There, there, I, I can give a hundred examples. Well, I can only give one right now. He has never stopped us from doing something stupid. He has intervened. We see this in the Bible. We've seen this in, in history and in testimony. He has intervened when we have called and said, Lord, we, th this isn't right. We made a mistake or someone else is, is pursuing us. The enemy is attacking. Lord, help us, help us, help us. We've seen him rise up and help in those situations. But, but at, at no point in time has God intervened and said, okay, wait, that's just too dumb let me, let me pull this back aside. No one's calling me for, for me to do it, but I'm going to do it of my own volition. God has instead said, go. Do what you're going to do. I'm here if you need me, but I, but I want to see what's going to happen. This, this concept of us just doing what we want to do is something that God wanted for us. He wanted to be partners with us in this, but he wanted it for us. He wanted us to create and to innovate, to build, 
to grow, to, to have dominion, to subdue. And we have, humanity has, perverted that. He gave us the power. We're the ones that are using that power to do whatever it is that we want to do. But at no point in time did God not give us purpose. Did God not look at us and say, it's your life. What are you going to do with it? He didn't say, look, I love you. Let's just, let's just cuddle. I like to say that to Megan. Hey, Megan, let's go cuddle. So we'll get on the couch and we'll put a blankie on and we'll just cuddle. That's beautiful. I love to do that with my daughters, just to sit there and just hold them. And come. they're going to get to an age where they're, they're not going to want to do that anymore. And it's probably not appropriate anyway. But, but you know, they're going to get to an age where, man, they're just so grown up. Daddy, I don't want to cuddle, right? I want to go do this or go do that and make up that and drive this. At one point in time, that's going to escape. And so I'm going to hold on to them as long as I can. But the purpose for them to be alive is for not, not for Megan and I to cuddle right her purpose is not for me to have someone to cuddle with god didn't create me to cuddle with him even though we love to do that god and i love to cuddle with god and just get into a a place of prayer and to to sit there and just bask in his glory that's wonderful that's wonderful that's not why god created me it's not he created me to love him sure he created me to worship him absolutely he created me to partner with him to have communion with him, to walk this walk with him, to go and to, to grow and learn from him, right? He, he, he created me to give life to others. That we go back to the fruit of the Spirit. Why is there fruit of the Spirit? Why bear fruit if your only purpose is to be with God and to love him? Why bear fruit? You bear fruit to give it to others, so you have this companionship, this community with other people. God created me for that reason. God loves us, absolutely loves us, and he wants us to be in partnership with him. What does that partnership mean for you? And that statement goes against that entirely. You have no purpose, no reason to be. That, that, that scares me that anybody would think it's just love. It's just love. That there, there's no reason for, for your existence. It, to me, that statement goes against everything the Bible says. So if you believe that, then guess what? You don't believe the Bible. And if you don't believe the Bible, then why do you believe in Jesus? Why do you believe in God to begin with? It, it's interesting how the, there's selections of things that they they hold on to. I, I remember one minister telling me that his revelation came from, from the scripture, the, the passage that says, God is love. Well, yeah, you're right. The Bible clearly says God, it says those words specifically, God is love. It says that. You know what else it says? God is light. Yeah, it says God is light. It also says God is all sorts of other things. I did a study on that. Literally looked for the words, God is fill in the blank. And I looked at all the places that it says God is. And let me tell you something. There's a lot in there. There was a lot. And there was a lot of variation into what God was or is. There was times when God was angry. God is jealous. God is a jealous God, the Bible says. God is love. Yes, it does say that. God is light. 
God is all sorts of stuff. And, and really, if we're going to pick and choose our passages, we have to be very, very, very careful in what our relationship is then. Because our relationship is not built on a standard, on, on something that we can hold on to. It's built on sand, and it's going to shift, and it's going to ebb, and it's going to flow with the season, with the time, with, with the new thing that's coming out from this world. We have to be very careful. And I love what Brother Les said in, in prayer class one day. And, and it was about knowing the Bible, knowing what we believe and standing on that firm footing. He was talking about the standard that we live by. Guess what? For us, it is the Bible. It is our measuring rod. That's what that means. That Bible is our measuring rod. It's our standard for how we live our lives. And anything outside of that, to me, that's demonic. It is of the enemy. So, Father, thank you for everything that you have done for us. I, I, I love you so much. And I, I appreciate that you give me the freedom to fail and, and the support to get back up and continue moving forward in you, Lord. I thank you that you don't, that you don't cast me away because I've made so many mistakes, that you don't, that you don't hate me, that you do love me, that, that you have built us for a purpose and a reason. And Father, I just, I call forth your purpose on this church. I call forth your purpose on these people. And I pray that you, will, you give us the wherewithal, the strength, the capacity to follow you in whatever way you deem necessary. Lord, if, if our calling is to sing holy, holy, holy all day long, Lord, strengthen us as we do that. If our, if our calling is to go forth and, and to make disciples of all nations, if our calling is to, is whatever it might be, Father, give us strength to do it. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.